Welcome to the Women's Wellbeing Academy podcast, brought to you by the University of New South Wales, Sydney. This series explores the impact of COVID-19 on various aspects of women's health and wellbeing. So my name is Professor Bill Ledger, and I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at the University of New South Wales and the Royal Hospital for Women in Randwick. I'm very pleased to introduce to this podcast uh, Dr. Annie Madden. Annie is currently a Scientia PhD scholar at the Centre for Social Research in Health at the University of New South Wales, undertaking doctoral research into drug user representation in high-level policy context. Annie has represented people who've used or are still using illicit drugs for over 30 years, working at the highest levels within Australia and globally. She's provided technical expertise to the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, the World Health Organization, the United Nations Initiative on AIDS, HIV, and has been a member of the Australian government delegations to the UN General Assembly. And in April 2016, Annie was the CEO of the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League and fulfilled that role for 16 years. And she's CEO of the New South Wales Users and AIDS Association from 1994 to 2000. Annie's also a founding member and current board member of Harm Reduction Australia and has held numerous other high-level appointments, one of them being an inductee into the Prime Minister's honour roll for service to the alcohol and other drug sector in Australia. And in 2019, she was made an Officer of the Order of Australia for her decades of work and dedication in promoting the health and human rights of people who use drugs globally. So I don't think we could have a better expert to (laughs) the topic of today's podcast. Um, Annie, welcome. And let me just begin by asking you to give us an overview of the main issues that you see that relate to the use of alcohol and other drugs in a COVID-19 epidemic context. Mm, Thanks, Phil, and thanks for the lovely introduction. Um, Okay, well, look, I think, you know, it's a rather big topic, alcohol and other drugs. So I think what I might do is, you know, just sort of map out things a little bit for people first. So first thing really is that there are different types of drugs and therefore different types of drug use, if you like. And so there's what's often referred to as licit, or that means legal uh, drugs, so drugs like alcohol and tobacco, for example. And then there's illicit drug use, or illegal drug use, uh, and they are things that you know typically we would be things like cannabis, or uh, methamphetamine, or heroin, um, psychoactives, MDMA, um, other psychedelics, that sort of those sorts of things. So there's lots of illicits, uh, lots of illicits being sort of developed all the time, new analogs, but they're broadly those two categories of of licit and illicit, legal, illegal. But there's also this sort of grey category, uh, which we're hearing more and more about, I guess, which is the idea of drugs that are legally prescribed generally, but may be used illicitly, so used in a way that they're not prescribed or off-label. So, you know, prescription drug use, particularly benzodiazepines and uh, things like uh, opioid pharmaceuticals, increasing area of drug use and uh, we're hearing more about that particularly in terms of overdose etc so you know depending on the drugs that people use the way they use them will differ as well and therefore as you can imagine all the implications and the needs and the issues involved will also differ depending on what people are doing the other sort of complicating factor in this is that many people don't just use one 
drug or one substance, uh, they'll often use multiple substances, sometimes at different times, sometimes at, together, um, and to get different effects and for different reasons. And so poly drug use is also a factor in here. So as I said at the beginning, alcohol and other drugs is, is really a very sort of big, complex and nuanced sort of area. And I, I think one of the other complicating factors in there is that there is quite well documented now quite a, a lot of stigma and discrimination that is associated with alcohol and other drug use. So I think when we're sort of talking about these issues, I always take care around sort of making unsubstantiated sort of generalizations in this area because uh, I think there is a lot of there are a lot of stereotypes, a lot of stigma and they cause a lot of harm. So sort of taking care with that. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So with that framing kind of in mind in terms of COVID itself, uh, COVID-19 environment, what we know is that alcohol and tobacco use has increased, still being monitored, could be, you know, upwards of 30%, which is a significant increase. It's much harder to monitor things like illicit drug use or illegal drug use for obvious reasons, but it just takes longer to, to monitor what's happening there and see the trends. But also uh, prescription drug use, once again, can be tricky to monitor because it's often hidden and people can be using stockpiled prescription drugs from, from some time ago. So once again, difficult to monitor, but we definitely know that alcohol and tobacco use has increased quite a lot. And we also know that things like stress and financial and other pressures certainly can be factors in increased drug use at any time. But with the COVID-19 environment, of course, um, it's almost creating a bit of a perfect storm in that regard. It's, you know, stress, increased pressures on people, you know, financial press, pressures, job losses, fear of illness as well uh, comes into it, particularly depending on where, where your health is when all of this starts. And then social isolation, of course, is um, another big factor from work, from family, from friends, from local community, and even for people who are already managing issues associated with uh, uh, their alcohol and other drug use, it can be that they can't see their regular therapist or counsellor or person like that. So that all of that sort of compounds, then you add on top of that some boredom as well, people you know, having a great deal to do or having less to do, more time on their hands. I think it has created an environment where um, I think, you know, people often will have their own harm reduction strategies, what we call harm reduction strategies. And so harm reduction is what it sounds like. It's about sort of ways and strategies to reduce uh, potential harm associated with drug use. And people often have their own harm reduction strategies and, and routines that they use. But because their other routines of everyday life have often gone out the window because some of those can be part of their harm reduction strategy. So being at work all day uh, significantly reduces a lot of people's opportunity to use alcohol and other drugs. So, you know, that might have been something they use to keep things uh, where they want them to be or hobbies or getting into sport or even family commitments and just all those other things that eat up people's time and take uh, and break opportunities, sorry, for, uh, for using drugs have often uh, sort of crumbled a little bit over the last few months. So that's also contributing to increased uh, drug use. I think, um, you know, many people have lost 
careers, jobs, businesses. I mean, it's massive, uh, you know, really massive. And it's a very difficult time for many people. And it's really not that surprising that we're seeing increases in drug use. But the, one of the problems we have really is that this has come uh, with a sector, the drug and alcohol sector, the treatment sector was already um, really overstretched before COVID, significantly overstretched. So there's a large unmet demand for treatment in Australia all the time. Hundreds of thousands of people a year can't get treatment who want treatment. So COVID has really exacerbated that. Some places, you know, you're looking at months of waiting lists, having to call every day, travel long distances for treatment. There's poor gaps in the treatment system itself and linkages. So, and if you're on something like opioid substitution treatment, uh, that may require you, for example, to be going in every day or regularly to a clinic or a pharmacy. And so, of course, all of that's been disrupted as well. So I think, you know, it's fair to say that uh, if you're also marginalised or highly marginalised, say perhaps you're injecting drugs or you're street-based homeless or just living in unsafe housing or something like that, you know, COVID-19, once again, has really amplified all of the problems and difficulties for those people. So basically, it's been a very difficult and challenging time, both for people who use alcohol and other drugs, um, if they're experiencing difficulties and problems in particular, and for the sector itself, for harm reduction services, for drug and alcohol treatment. It's been um, a bit, you know, pretty, pretty intense time for everyone, really. Well, thanks, Annie. And that just maybe leads me on to a, a question. But we've seen a lot of government support from Australia around the world for workers who've lost their jobs and particular mm. industries and so forth. And a great deal of money has been made available, which wasn't there previously. But I'm saddened to hear that you've not seen any increase in funding support for the kind of work that you and your colleagues are able to offer. Mm. And you highlight the fact that people will will not only be placed under greater pressure because of the social implications of the virus, but also won't be able to access the support they need, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, look, um, there has been some, just very recently, in fact, there was uh, some money announced mostly for alcohol-related drug treatment issues. So that was really welcomed. A couple of agencies across the country received some federal support in that regard. Um, but yes, look, it's, it is a really big problem that uh, a lot of services that were already very much under pressure um, have had to, you know, reorganise like everyone and figure out how they're going to deliver services to people in a very different way, um, often very marginalised people in high need. So it's, yeah, it's been difficult and uh, resources are very much stretched uh, to the limit. Sure. And just to follow on again from the comments you make, have you seen any evidence that it's become more difficult for people to access the supplies of illicit drugs that they normally use or has that managed mm. to survive through the restrictions of the pandemic? Yeah, good question. Um, once again, as I said uh, earlier, you know, illicit drug use can be tricky, not, it, not impossible by any means because we do it, but tricky to monitor because it often takes, you know, in-depth sort of research that follows people over a period of time or to get sort of a sense of what's going on and get behind the illegality, if you like. It's a black market. It's a little bit difficult to know for sure. But um, in terms of sort of more anecdotal information, both within Australia and globally, there are definitely concerns about the impact of COVID on drug markets. Mm. What we generally see is that if something 
changes in one part of the illicit drugs market, sort of it crops up somewhere else, if you like. So people will switch to another substance if they can't get the one that they usually use. So uh, that in itself can result in unintended negative consequences and quite harmful consequences if the substance used is stronger, is different, Mm. causes different issues. So, you know, there are concerns at the moment that changes to the drug market because of COVID-19 might result in something like heroin, for example, being um, uh, replaced with something more like fentanyl, which is many, many, many times stronger, uh, has really been at the heart of the Canadian overdose epidemic that we've been seeing for the last few years. It's a a very strong drug and uh, causes a lot of difficulties in communities uh, when it becomes available unknowingly through an illicit drug supply. So uh, there's some of the things uh, we, I guess the other issue to say around illicit markets is that We don't sort of manufacture a lot of illicit drugs here in Australia. They're often coming in from other countries. um, And obviously there's been disruption to those routes because of COVID-19. And so therefore it does sort of put more of a spotlight, if you like, on the drugs that are produced here in Australia, such as methamphetamine, which would be produced more here Um, It does come in from overseas as well, but it is one that is more produced here. So that's one of the other concerns is that when people can't get what they want, they switch to, yeah, something that might cause um, more difficulty for them. Yeah. Thank you. And that's that's really enlightening, actually. And it's interesting Mm. to maybe move on to the consequences of the the issues that you've highlighted there. Mm. Um, So maybe if you could discuss some of the the specific considerations for women who Mm. are, you know, using illicit drugs or using alcohol to Mm. excess Mm. or living with others who do so and Mm. and put it in a fairly broad social context for us because obviously there are many areas that this impacts Mm. with the the, um, harm done by the the virus. Mm. Yeah, it's you know, one of those situations where it's kind of all of the issues we've already discussed, of course, and then there are some issues that sort of affect women more or affect women, you know, almost exclusively. So one of the issues, of course, that's just sort of more of a mainstream issue for women, and it's not that caring responsibilities for children are women's uh, business alone, it's just they do, we know, carry out often a greater proportion or greater burden of caring responsibilities and so the impact of just children being um, at home more often than usual difficulties with you know childcare access and of course with uh, at-home schooling and depending on the family situation and their housing and their setup this can be really difficult for families on low incomes living on uh, Centrelink payments, for example, and just having the means to kind of set up children in a way where they can work in an environment that's suitable and have access to technology. I know there's been a lot of work done by schools um, as much as they can to ensure technology is provided, but it is difficult. And I think there are stigmas associated with these sorts of things as well. So people kind of tend to just try and carry on and, and manage Meanwhile, it's an extremely stressful situation and and just managing, you know, very bored children as well. So all of those things, you know, just put greater pressure on on women who have um, perhaps sometimes, you know, quite a few children uh, they're caring for. It's a challenge, you know, for 
for everyone involved, but when you sort of layer perhaps uh, dependent drug use on top of that or illicit drug use on top of that, it, everything just gets amplified. Mm. I think one of the things that we have definitely, we're starting to see coming through the, through the data and the mainstream press in relation to COVID and women is the issue of domestic violence. Mm. And once again, this is a, a sort of broader mainstream area. I think this is a good example of what I was saying earlier about taking care not to make sort of be over generalizing in terms of the connection between domestic violence and drug use of course there's been quite a lot of research in this area and uh, we do know you know increasing amounts about alcohol fueled violence but the these are complex issues and they're not straightforward cause and effect type type situations but we have seen um, unfortunately an increase in domestic violence. I understand that perhaps that's not necessarily showing itself in police reporting as yet, but we also know that there's an under-reporting of this sort of thing. So, uh, but what we do know is that women's services and domestic violence services and women's shelters are definitely seeing an increase in both demand and in the complexity of the issues that their uh, people are presenting with. So um, I think that's one of the you know, key issues that's affecting women uh, in relation to COVID right now and, and very much amplified for women who are managing drug use issues or are living with people who are. Um, as we sort of have already touched on, you know, people are often not able to access some of their usual support mechanisms uh, or, or so services may be closed entirely or they may not be able to have access to regular counsellors or whatever or they may be in a form that's um, quite uh, difficult or limited so uh, those sorts of things just once again add further pressure to a difficult situation I think uh, it's been good however speaking of funding to see that there has been uh, good you know some increases to funding in the domestic violence space um, mm. in response to COVID and um, you know, I'm by no means an expert in that area, but um, it was it was definitely good to see that occurring. I think one of the other issues that comes to the fore for me in terms of women and illicit drug use is uh, issues for women in prison and coming out of prison. I think um, there's been a lot of advocacy. UNSW itself has been involved in advocacy on this issue about... Um, around sort of early release, if you like, um, not just for women, uh, this has been across the board, but there are some particular issues for women. So, get, you know, prisons are a, an overcrowded environment uh, at the best of times. Uh, they're, they're not a good environment for something like COVID. So trying to get people out of the prison system is uh, something that's really important in a COVID environment. And for women, the early release advocacy has been around people who are on short sentences or close to being released and certainly on sentences for non-violent offences. And this is something where, you know, women are often are in prison for on short sentences. They're usually lesser offences. There's often things like fines and public order offences and things like that, but also uh, women who are victims of uh, family violence and that sort of thing. So, of course, this disproportionately affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women as well. Um, because they are overrepresented in the prison system. So there's a, you know, really some great work that's been done on this. New South Wales 
unlike some other states, has moved on this issue and has been working on early release for people um, in yeah, non-violent minor offences and, and soon to be released, who were soon to be released anyway within six months. So um, that's been really welcomed, I think, and that advocacy has been quite successful in that space and a really great way to uh, reduce harm in all sorts of ways because prisons not only are not a great environment for something like COVID, but if you sort of take that by extension around viruses, they're also a really bad environment in terms of blood-borne viruses like HIV and hepatitis C. So there's no needle and syringe programs in prisons in Australia, unfortunately. So that means that People who, um, people who use drugs and inject drugs are overrepresented in the prison system. Uh, a large proportion of people in prison are therefore drug and drug-related offences, and we're not able to keep drugs out of our prisons. So that means that there is drug use occurring in the prisons, there's no needle exchange in the prisons, and so all of that together means it's a high-risk environment for people in there. So getting people out of prison, keeping them out of prison, is a high priority in relation to transmission of viruses generally. And you've mentioned this already, but I do think there's mm. a, a kind of separate topic which would be useful to explore, which is more about principle and mm. The, mm. the status of people, basically the status of their human rights, the status of human mm. dignity mm. in yeah. the troubled times, because we might yeah. be losing the... Um, the principles to which most of us try to adhere in the face of this virus. So maybe look at how these marginalised populations are being, are they still being respected and, and, mm. and seen as, as fellow human beings or is there a danger we might lose that respect because mm. of the pressures we're all under? Mm. It's an um, interesting question and I think one of the issues with this is that when something is criminalised, so in the case of illicit drug use here particularly, uh, this, that's not to say there isn't issues associated with alcohol use in terms of stigma and discrimination and human rights, but vastly more amplified again, if you like, in relation to illicit drug use and it's the criminalised status of illicit drug use that really uh, drives a lot of the stigma and discrimination and the poor attitudes and the poor treatment people receive. Part of the problem with both criminalising people and the stigma and discrimination that comes with that is the expression of what people think about people who break the law or are seen as criminals is that, you know, those people end up very isolated you know, it forces people away from the very information and support and assistance and services that they really need access to uh, because it creates a great deal of shame and self-stigma, poor self-esteem, those sorts of things, as well as the stigma that's, that's acting on people. Uh, so it's a really vicious cycle, if you like, and that exists anyway. And, it, it, and then when you add on top of that a black market that people are living in, it further isolates people. It, it further makes people sort of, you know, they're even more hidden. And the fear of criminalisation drives people even further away. So we've got all these compounding factors that result in a highly marginalised population. And then when we look at the way that people who use drugs generally, but particularly illicit drug users, are spoken about 
in the mainstream press in particular. It's really, you know, it's, there's this, you know, drives it forward. It, it really reinforces negative attitudes and, you know, easy scapegoating of people, someone to blame uh, for situations. And we often, with these situations, we've got sort of people who are marginalised. Often uh, people will have multiple marginalisations, if you like. So, you know, you'll layer on top of that issues of race and cultural background and gender and the things we've been talking about today. And it just sort of exacerbates all the all the stigma and discrimination that people are experiencing mm. um, I think you know it is really time and COVID is rather than perhaps a time to expose how um, dreadful some of these things are I think it's we've also seen um, people's enormous capacity for compassion and to you know act together in really positive ways and so I think there is an opportunity here with COVID as well to perhaps start looking at some of these issues a little bit closer as a community and um, in terms of what our government policies and practices are, the systems that sort of help to perpetuate some of these uh, marginalisations and, and disadvantage. You know, I've talked about things about media and the language they use and the way they talk about people and the sorts of criminalisation issues. But a lot of this is also driven forward by just the very policies that we have in place. So it is a time to uh, be able to maybe review some of those things. We've had to review the way services work in large part. Uh, we've had to review things like policies around things like the opioid substitution treatment, which is things like methadone and buprenorphine. I mentioned earlier people often had to go in every day to be dosed with something like that. We've, uh, we've seen changes to policy that were thought not possible and uh, COVID has made them possible. So people are now getting more take-home doses. They've found ways to home deliver certain services. So you know, things are possible. It is possible to change these things. It is possible to change our attitudes. It is all up to us about how we think about people. And I would just encourage people to see, you know, it's about humanity at the end of the day and to see sort of everyone and treat everyone with basic dignity and respect. Uh, that in itself goes a long way. And uh, maybe not just sort of quite mindlessly buying into stereotypes and prejudice around people and perhaps questioning some of those things a little bit more. It's not difficult to start questioning issues around the way people who use drugs are treated. If you just scratch the surface of the issue a little bit, people very quickly start to see that there are major problems with how, how things are sort of play out. So that's um, some thoughts on that is that I think it's entirely possible for us to, um, create a better world for all of us and perhaps COVID is that opportunity. I must say, Annie, the, your use of the word scapegoating hit home there with me. I think that maybe just yeah. summarises the problem that we're facing yeah. and something that we do need to be well aware of and try to avoid. And it yeah. brings me on nicely to our last topic, which is whether there is some sort of a silver lining here. Yeah. The, the women and, and people who are users of illicit drugs and, maybe things will change, attitudes will change mm. after the mm. COVID-19 pandemic passes through. Maybe just highlight how you see things may look in mm. close time. Yeah, look, I think that there's definitely going, change is inevitable now. I think we've been seeing this in a number of different areas, right? So it's not simply 
on this issue, but many areas, services have already had to change the way they do things. I personally don't think they'll just go back to business as usual. I think people are reviewing all sorts of things about how they do whatever it is they do. And if it's service delivery in AOD in the alcohol and other drugs area, then people are working hard to look at those possibilities and how we might do things differently. I think in a general sense, the community is, you know, I think COVID has sort of shone a spotlight on some of the, you know, not so great things going on in society. It's really, you know, sort of, I think sometimes something like a whole lot of people experiencing, unfortunately, what it's like to live on very little money every week has, for example, perhaps shone a spotlight on the issue that we've been trying to change for a long time, which is the level of Centrelink payments, for example, and Mm. that they are simply unsustainable for people and drive a lot of poverty and problems. So that issue has been uncovered by this and, and we are finding new ways forward on those things. So I think, you know, it is a real moment of opportunity should we wish to take it. Probably I'd just finish with something like alcohol and other drug use. I always really try and get people to consider, I have my own background in these issues. I have a personal history of of illicit drug use and having been on methadone and things like that. So I know these issues very well at a personal level. And I always try and encourage people to say, you know, don't don't judge people without knowing the person and, and perhaps having walked a, a little bit in their shoes. But just always think with alcohol and other drugs issues, it's just other people who are using them. They're not evil people. They're just other people. They're people's sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and grandparents and nieces and nephews. They're, they're people in your family and in your community, whether you know it or not it's already happening around you and there'll be lots of people you don't know are drug users who are. So I think just keep in mind that it's just other people and and they deserve the same sort of dignity and respect as you do and perhaps treating everyone as you'd like to be treated yourself is is not a bad way to go. Annie, that's a beautiful place to wind this up. (laughs) Do as you would be done by is a good maxim in life and I think you've highlighted that, that for this group of our friends and colleagues and people in Australia and uh, thank you very much for your wise words and um, (laughs) we wish you well in all your work in the future thank you thank you thanks for inviting me for more information about this podcast our guests and upcoming episodes please visit the UNSW equity diversity and inclusion website